This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Voided jury duty, uh, unfortunately. I was looking forward to that life experience, but um, they took one look at me and, and ran the other way. Um, yeah, what about yourself, Liz? Looked at your... Uh... Your NFBC teams, they're, they're still doing pretty well, unfortunately. Yeah, I just looked right before this, and I think um, in first in both the ones I share with you and 12th overall in one of the online championships. So, uh, yeah, it could be worse. Um, I have suffered some injuries, and I've really spent a lot of my fab in a few places, uh, which could come back to totally bite me. But my theory is I, I'm not uh, ever spot-starting pitchers, so at least – that but i've definitely been too aggressive in some fab that may come back and bite me but most of my baseball teams are continuing to do pretty well how about yourself how about your teams uh my top team is in first place my nfbc teams are not doing that well one of the big chrysalis is i think i'm in fourth or fifth i've been the third but it's a long way behind your team the uh, main event team is up to 13th place i'm very pleased to report but I have 11 <laughs> points in hitting. But my hitting is what's good. And actually, I was worried about the pitching, but I've got Bumgarner, Matt Boyd. I've got a bunch of guys who are doing well. So uh, I actually think it weirdly bodes well because my, you know, I have Juan Soto. I was looking at it, and I was like, why am I doing so poorly in hitting? I've got good hitters. I'm like, oh, because Glaber Torres and Gavin Lux and Victor Robles combined had zero home runs as of a couple of days ago. That's my fourth sixth and 12th pick that were hitters they had zero home runs combined the three of them and then i had juan soto who was hurt so really i was like okay i see why my my hitting isn't doing well but i don't i i think it can do well and unfortunately uh lux's home run was on my bench this week because he only had two games and i couldn't time it right when he's going to go off but i feel like glaber hit his home run robles may be a bad pick at six round and i may not recoup mm-hmm. that value i'm kind of prepared for that it looks kind of he's batting eighth but i feel like i can make a run knock on wood you know i you just don't want another you don't want stanton to go down or matt olson to go down or whoever i need everybody to stay healthy just everyone's getting hurt so much but i just need everyone to stay healthy and just for the next month just hit like you're supposed to hit yeah robles is killing me uh big time i know you also have lindor who finally what well, you got a steal i believe today so showing a pulse too so yeah you definitely have some offensive guys off to uh, sluggish starts um but uh yeah it's uh I'm, I'm my giants are off to a really good start and like looking kind of legit as, as each game goes by so that's been a nice uh, surprise um I, I thought they'd be fine and i even said before i think they compete for the central but figure with the padres and dodgers uh playoffs were out of reach but Daughters are struggling more than expected. So, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly into baseball and I enjoy the, the sport of it, just the everydayness of it, you know, have it on in the background. So many day games, too. I feel like there are more day games uh, than there were, you know, 10 years ago. So, 
Yeah, I'm I, I'm into baseball uh, big time right now. Love these pitchers. I I hope Corbin Burns is is uh, is okay. I mean, it's been awfully quiet since he went on the COVID list. He said he was and, asymptomatic. Uh, he said he's asymptomatic. So. Oh, he did say that. Okay, yeah. okay. I haven't even come across that. So no, yeah. okay, good. And hopefully he returns this week. And then oh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about my guy Otani who. You know, fired uh, in Houston, by the way, last night. The best uh, offense in baseball so far, according to WRC Plus. Uh, 10 strikeouts, limits them to just one run. Just dealing, man. And he's the number four fantasy hitter, uh, according to Yahoo, when I looked this up writing last night. I mean, how sick is he? I mean, I'd love my 40 to 1 long shot uh, MVP bet, but uh, yeah, getting it done. Otani, son. Yeah, he's been good. I have him in that league with you, and I've been I, I used him as a pitcher the wrong week, and I didn't realize how good of a hitter he was. It took me a couple of weeks to realize that he has to be a hitter. But now, if he pitches Number like this, four fantasy hitter. Number four. I've had him I, as a pitcher like two or three weeks, so I missed a lot of it. But uh, now I have Tatis on the COVID list. So, but that team has a chance. That team is actually all right. Uh, you know what's crazy is that. I actually like at first I was like, oh, your pitching strategy is the right strategy because Burns and Woodruff and you know so many of these pitchers are just killing it. And Bauer's been pretty good, and it's a lot of the top pitchers. Degrom before we went on the the DL briefly, but uh, but now I'm thinking, you know, it's kind of what I thought actually because it's a pitching, it's kind of a pitching year, and there's so many good pitchers from Rodon to Bumgarner. Just you know, your guy Bumgarner is dealing for me. Sean Manai has been good. Matthew Boyd, Taiwan Walker, Kevin Gossman, John Means. There's so many pitchers that are good now. I mean, there's so many great pitchers, and this is exactly how it used to be. Maybe it's even a little exaggerated now, where if you just pick up the Danny Duffy or one of these guys, you're fine. You didn't need to draft a lot of good pitchers. Maybe you need one or two, but you could have fabbed or just drafted late a lot of good pitchers. And the hitting is what is so scarce. It is really hard to find hitting. And, and so, you know, that's my problem is my hitting. You know, I, I had this all hitting team and it's the hitting, you know, Yelich and Harper finally came back, hit a home run last night and he, Eloy Jimenez and a bunch of guys really hurt or struggling, Glaber Torres and the pitching has been okay. So in a way, don't you want to have a, a good hitting team? It's just that it wasn't possible to get a good hitting team by drafting it. I think that was what the issue was. I, I hear what you're saying because it does go on and on the list of the pitchers. My guy, Freddie Peralta, Matthew Boyd, uh, even just free agent ads, Alex Wood. Uh, right? Alex Delay Wood. On, yeah. How about the guy, Hector Inoa? Hector Inoa. Inoa was what I was going to say next on the Braves. Exactly. Yeah, those guys are, are legit uh, options right now that were all added. So, yeah, I mean, while, while I understand that, the strategy has resulted in me doing well in the standings so far. And honestly, most of these teams are not, I don't have like any great offensive guys busting out really. So I'm not sure it's going to stay that way, but I don't know if it's just maybe that means you got to compete in the K's more. Or I, I don't know, but it has, it, it's just fundamentally across the board, most of my teams are off to good starts for whatever that means. And I, I, I don't necessarily think I'm doing that well in the offensive categories. Well, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at the team that is and the, in the 12. Front. I'll say this. The 12 teams easier, man, for my strategy. Right. It's harder in the main offense. It's I'll just say it's as simple as that. It, it's it's well, yes, you're right. And some of these, my offense is going to look okay in the 12 teamers. You're right. Yeah. I'm looking at the, the 12 team. The first beat Chris list, you've got Hoskins. who has got a bunch of home runs. You got Benintendi who steals a lot of bases. You got Hanniger who's having a great start. You have Brandon belt. Tim Anderson's been good. I don't know how you got him though, because you pitch, pick so many pitchers, but 
you have some hitters that are doing well, and I look at my hitters, Lindor and Glaber, and they're doing nothing. And those guys were expensive. While you were taking pitchers, I was taking Lindor in the second and Glaber Torres in the fourth, probably the fifth in that league. But those guys have done nothing. So there's been no advantage. Now, we'll see in a couple of months, you know, if my guys heat up, well, maybe I will pass you in the hitting categories. But so far, your hitters have actually been better than mine straight up, and I paid more for them. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. This is one because we did it so early. Uh, I got Tim Anderson late, the eleventh pick in the fifth round. I got Suarez in the eighth round. He has actually not been good, no, but he was good, you know far yeah. higher than that was the point. You know, a couple months later, whatever, six weeks later. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, Mike the Mouth said I had the worst off. This was the team he said had the worst uh, outfield ever drafted in a twelve team league and it uh, hasn't actually been that good. My guy, Chris Taylor has been really good, but JD Davis needs to come off the IL. Mitch Hanniger has been pretty solid, but um, uh, yeah, I, I think in 12 team, I would, I would do exactly the same. Uh, I probably would also in 15, but I'd certainly have not been talked out. See no reason to switch up uh, in a 12 team moving forward, but you, you would argue otherwise. Well, I don't know. You're doing a lot better than me. So I, I wouldn't argue with that stridently, but I, I guess I would just say that we'll see when my hitters, Lindor has a good year and snaps out of it and Torres snaps out of it have Jordan Alvarez in that league and Alex Bregman and a couple guys who are hitting but you know I I need those guys to hit and if they don't then it's it's not that pitching wasn't plentiful it's that the good pitching was reliable you're still gonna have be picking up cheap pitchers or drafting pitchers late also Mm -hmm. and if I don't really get a huge advantage for drafting a hitter early then then maybe the pitching is better. Maybe we're in such a pitcher's environment that it's gotten, you'd think if you're in a pitcher's environment, then you need to get the few hitters that are really good. But if it's such a pitcher's environment that no hitter is reliably good, except the guys in the first round, then, you know, then you're sort of, okay, well, you may as well wait on hitters because it's a crapshoot anyway. So that, that's kind of the flip side is if it's so pitcher friendly that, you know, that the Lindors and the Gleyber Torreses who are good hitters, but they're not Trout Acuna hitters, maybe, <laughs> there's no point in taking those guys early so it may even go full circle where it does end up working but um I, it's definitely a thing that there are many many cheap pitchers who are good yeah no that is a, that is absolutely a, a fact i agree with you there um yeah it's uh it's uh i'm i'm 12th in overall in the first one and 35th overall in the second uh which is pretty good for the online championship has a lot more teams in the main event right Oh, there's like more than 2,000 teams. So, I mean, (laughs) so you've got the combination of guys that are working, and and that's great. I mean, it's it's only May, whatever, 12th, but it's it's almost a quarter of the way through the season, and those stats are banked. You don't have to, you don't, you don't give those stats back if your guys regress a bit. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, yeah, right now I have a 0.98 whip through 344 innings. So that's a solid start with the the banked pitching stats. But I bet my batting average is not great. But then again, the whole league is, uh, yeah, 240. But um, man, it's crazy the the batting average being so down. Um, All right. So yeah, baseball, uh, any any football? You did did a mock draft for the bag, right? I did a mock draft. I drafted fifth on Twitter. I said I drafted sixth, but then I realized later that it was fifth. But (laughs) it was a mock, so I didn't even bother to correct it. I took Jonathan Taylor over Saquon, my guy, because it's a non-PPR. And I just thought, you know what? If I'm really at a high-stakes league, who would I draft in a non-PPR? And I think I would go Taylor, just not coming off an injury. Saquon's had a couple of injuries, and the offensive line of the Colts is so much better. So who would you have taken there? 
You know, I have Taylor as my number two uh, back this year. I know Marlon Mack is coming back, coming off the uh, Achilles. Um, they even upgraded their, that offensive line. That Costanzo, who re- retired, was actually way better in pass protection than a run blocker, if you look at the nerd stats. And they just signed Eric Fisher on the Chiefs. So they, they should have one of the better run blocking units. Taylor just looked like a monster the second half. I mean, whatever it took. He did not look great right away. But um, Le'Veon Bell took an offseason. Jonathan Taylor just took a, a month or so to get acclimated to the NFL game. And uh, he just looks like a superstar in a, in a pretty good environment. So, yeah, I, I could see Dalvin Cook, uh, obviously, maybe more upside. But I project him to be – I feel like Cook and Kittle, you just simply have to project to miss two to three games. So uh, – and, and Henry, you know, coming off 400 carries, now age 27. Um, what's the stat? Like, hasn't been a top uh, – uh, 10 fantasy back the last three years who's over 26 years old something like something crazy like that i so, saw that mike clay um, stat but i don't young, buy that young, young man's game i don't young buy that i don't buy that that mike clay stat i mean it's true but i think it's just because the analytics have kicked in and they don't give the running backs that contract after the first contract they don't give the running backs a second deal they give it to Gurley when he was already kind of hurt and zeke but most of the running backs don't get that contract anymore uh, get that bell cow contract and so I think the reason there there aren't there are fewer candidates to lead the, you know be in the top ten in rushing who are twenty seven and older is because there's just fewer guys getting a two hundred fifty to three hundred carry workload that you need to be in the top ten at that age because they're not getting paid and they just pretty much rely on younger guys. But the thing is, Henry is going to get the carries if he's healthy. So to me, it's sort of like that's misleading. How many guys even got the yeah. carries at that age? I love Henry. I'm the guy who wrote a column saying he should be the number one uh, pick last year. So I, I'm not going to go too crazy against Henry. Love, love him. And then, but uh, these other guys definitely have question marks with, um, with Barkley. I mean, coming off the, the poor season and the injuries and then another, obviously the serious injury. So, I mean, I would have pretty comfortably taken Taylor over your guy Barkley. I, I don't see that as controversial in the least bit. Barkley is so good though when he's healthy. He played behind the worst offensive lines. He played with Eli for most of one year. He played with a rookie Danny Dimes. And, you know, when, when he get when there's any daylight, the guy takes it like 40 yards. The guy is so good. And he's a great pass catcher. I'm a little worried about his fragility though, but he is yeah, he's coming off a torn ACL too. No, I, I, Barkley's awesome. Yes. I, I would just take the younger guy, yeah. um, you know, who can actually, I think he's going to get, see far more targets tailored too, but okay. All right. So Barkley's your giants guy. So you're, you actually didn't go the Homer route. I, well, if it were PPR, I would have taken Barkley, but in non PPR, I just thought, I, it's just there's still no reason to pass on Taylor there. Uh, by the way, Glaber Torres, my guy, sitting today because he's in the uh, he's awaiting COVID test results. So mm-hmm. just when I need him to get going, uh, he's got an issue. Yeah, so I took I took Barkley, and then the way back, everyone was kind of scrambling to take running backs, and there was like David Montgomery was there because he, he had a really good second half. But I, I took AJ Brown instead. AJ Brown is the only game in town in Tennessee. I mean, there are no other targets there. They lost Johnny Smith and Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys. There's nobody there. So, and A.J. Brown is good, and he played hurt last year and had surgery, and he's going to be healthy. And then I took, in round three, I passed on Montgomery again, and I took Terry McLaurin, who is the number one receiver. He's finally got a quarterback who will throw down the field to him. So to start, I went Taylor, Brown, McLaurin. You like that in a 14-team league? Yeah, unfortunately, I really like it. Unfortunately, I'm not sure for whom, but uh, these guys are all, all these guys are I'm higher on than ADP. I have AJ Brown as my number three wide receiver. Um, could be talked into number one, and I have McLaurin at number seven. I actually have McLaurin 
this is probably crazy and certainly I wouldn't uh, really like bet money on it because of the floor, but I, I kind of even like him more upside than Hopkins. It's with the quarterback upside and, and Murray, what he looked like the second half and just the touchdowns. AJ Brown. I mean, come on, man. I mean, no Corey Davis, no Johnny Smith. Uh, he's so, so good. He had that knee injury he suffered in, in week two, two off season surgeries. What if Derrick Henry does, you know, get banged up or whatever that off that defense is not very good at all. So I think that's going to well, a lot more passes. Uh, the targets will go up and he's, you know, a monster. I mean, yeah. AJ Brown. Yeah. I, I, I think he's going to be the number one, like unanimous fantasy whiteout in 2022. I wrote that, you know, Thornberry asked for the write-ups, and I just said, well, I think the upside for Brown and McLaurin is wide receiver one. McLaurin is six, he's, McLaurin's six feet, 210, and he runs a 4.35. The guys who run 4.35s are usually like 5'10", 185. This guy's borderline freak athlete, and he's a really good receiver, and then Brown is another freak who's built like a running back. So it's just those two guys, and they're just in exactly the prime of their career in the, in the right situations. So then, scary Terry played, played through two high ankle sprains last year, has literally dealt with the worst quarterbacking in the league since he's entered the league. And Fitzpatrick's like a perfect guy. I mean, even if he throws too many picks, who cares? He's aggressive. It's good yeah. for, for fans. You need a QB like him too, with a good defense that Washington's wow. going to have, but uh, yeah, McLaurin could go nuts. So you love my draft. I had, I got your number yeah, two yeah, running back. And I got my guys. I mean, those are my guys. Taylor, AJ Brown and McLaurin yeah, okay. are all a thousand percent. My guys. Okay. Probably a good time to take a break and hear from our sponsors. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. So round four, I take Mark Andrews, tight end. What do you think of that? What do you think of him? Yeah, I, I believe it starts falling off the clip now. Your draft, I remember your tweet, but um, no, I don't know. Whatever. I, I personally would would uh, was I have Hawkinson and even Goddard ranked over him, but definitely Hawkinson. You didn't take Andrews over Hawk, did you? Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. Andrews. Yeah, no, Andrews. Yeah, since he got in the league, is like in rarefied company. Like the amount of touchdowns he has, the yards per target. I mean, he's the guy. Yeah, but they added a bunch of guys there. Hawkinson's literally going to get like 160 targets this year. I mean, there's no one there. And he's really good. Look at his workout metrics. Yeah, but he gets hurt a lot. I mean, Hawkinson's been banged up a lot, and golf sucks. So does Andrews. So does Andrews. So does Andrews. Andrews has only missed three yeah, games I, in three years. But he gets banged up. I, I would have taken Hawkinson without question. Uh, I don't think it's a mistake. I mean, Andrews, how many touchdowns does Andrews have in the last 29 games, the last two years? Okay. Ooh, I fear, uh, what do you want? 50 Hawkinson versus uh, Mark Done. Andrews? Done. PPR. 20. PPR. Yeah. All right. Last two years, Andrews played 29 games, 17 touchdowns the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like, I like Mark Andrews, but you know, I, I would have taken Hawk there. I can't, I can't love all your picks here. You can't hit every, every pick can't be a home run. Email me that 50 bucks. Andrews versus Hawkinson. All right, I wrote it down. Okay. And then round five, I took DJ Chark. What do you think of that? Yeah. Wild card. I don't have a super strong opinion there. Obviously if Lawrence likes him, uh, could be a home run. I probably have him ranked lower to, uh, than where he will go or where you took him just because there's so much uncertainty. I just have no idea who will be his number one target, but he was obviously impressive with some shaky QBs in the past. So there could, I mean, there's upside of a top 10 wide receiver. So I'm not going to, I'm going to hate he's on still it. Still only 24. 
and he ran a four three four forty. He's six four. Yeah. And he's a yep. forty inch vertical leap, hundred twenty inch broad jump. This guy is a freak athlete who already had a breakout with Minshew and Foles, eight TDs, thousand yards, fifteen games two years ago. And now he's got mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence. So Chark yep. was my fifth round pick. Sixth round pick was Leonard Fournette. I, I know people probably mock that, but I think Fournette, and I said this like five times, that he was going down the Trent Richardson career path, and he switched to the Marshawn Lynch career path. Remember, Marshawn Lynch was a bust in Buffalo, 10th overall pick. They ship it to Seattle, and he like has that beastquake run, and all of a sudden like he had a career in Seattle, and this is the second team he was really good in the playoffs. He was like, he made an incredible, not quite beast quake, but an incredible run in the playoffs. I can't remember which game it was, but like broke like five tackles, got a long touchdown and it's just him and Ronald Jones. That's really it. Yeah. This seems like a pick you'd expect me to kill you on, yeah. but I mean, I could see if you squint hard enough, you could see it though. I mean, this team's obviously just loaded with returning their whole entire Super Bowl roster, including Antonio Brown and those receivers. Um, I do think Giovanni Bernard is going to take more of the targets. Fournette is a bad receiver, but yeah, man, when the games mattered most down the stretch of the playoffs, he was treated like they're, they're three down back. I mean, and at the goal line. So, you know, obviously the pedigrees there. So um, six round running backs, I'm sure is very thin. I'm curious what rookie backs were on the board there. I think nobody ETN went like the third Davis Maddock took okay. him. Yeah. He lo- loves that guy. I guess my guy, but, Trey Sermon, my, my guy, Trey Sermon. I think he was maybe there. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe Mostert went around there. I think Sermon might have been there. So round seven, I take Chase Edmonds, another starting back. And I just felt like I needed, you know, I just needed a third back. It's only a 13-player draft, but I take him. Okay, round eight, I'm one pick away from Antonio Brown. He gets taken. This is a 14-team league also, so it's, it's pretty, it goes pretty deep. And so I take T.Y. Hilton, which he's only 31, but I don't, I don't love it. I hate Carson Wentz. Anyway. Round nine, I take Trevor Lawrence as my QB. You down with Trevor Lawrence as your QB? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no problem with that. Pair him with, with Chark one, also. Well, oh, yeah, double break like out. that. Yeah. So I get a yeah. kicker. Hey, 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 T.Y. Hilton, but uh, I do actually, I have Chase Edmonds ranked ahead of Fournette. And obviously risky. Maybe they bring in someone else. But I mean, he outplayed Drake last year. And why can't he? Just, I don't. Connor, man, come on. I'm not yeah. talking myself into James Connor again. I mean, I think Edmonds in that system with the up, up pace, uh, yeah, he could be like an RB2, honestly. Yeah. Well, I just needed another, you know, depth guy. You know, I got Taylor yeah. and figured. And then I got a kicker in defense. Not very important. But uh, my last pick. No one wanted to take this guy. Who did I take with my last pick? A guy that nobody wanted to take, but he's just sitting there. It is a one QB league. Uh, Trey Lance? No, Trey Lance. Don't, I'm, not a, I'm not insane. Come on. Who did I take? He went much higher. Uh, somebody that nobody wanted. No, he didn't get drafted, I'm pretty sure. Uh, what, it, it was 13 uh, players deep. There's only three bench spots. One QB league. Who did I take? Oh, uh, I think. I think, well, I think I already heard you. Did you say Gronk? But that no, I took, oh, I did take Gronk. I skipped Gronk. I took yeah. Gronk also. Gronk in a non-PPR. I don't know where going with, who is it? Who is it? I'm trying to. Deshaun uh, Watson. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Yes. Deshaun of course, Watson. in the 13th round, in the last round, like either he gets suspended, doesn't play, cut him, or he's the starter, somehow wriggles out of it. Yeah, I was, I was I was trying to figure out where you were going with that because like who is the, yeah okay yeah Deshaun Watson don't you yeah, think he, people who knows what happened. in an industry sort of magazine mock don't want to be the guy that's like oh you took Deshaun Watson you're a terrible person 
Yes, I do think that. And of course, you are the guy who has no problem. <laughs> of course, I got no problem uh, with it. It's so ridiculous. Putting your like, name on print. Putting your name on print it, right it, there. It's I like, like people so are like, oh, you can't take him. Like, that's bad. It's like, really? Because I am employing him in any way. He even knows who I am. I mean, it's it's so crazy. Like this this thing like, oh, I would never take a bad player. It's like, I would take Aaron Hernandez if Aaron Hernandez were good. Even, you know, I don't care. It's not, I'm not running the team. I'm not in real life. If I was running a real life professional football team, I would not have uh, Aaron Hernandez on my team. But in fantasy, the real life people have to sort that out. It's not my issue. And you're really obviously just buying people's stats. You're not buying the actual player. The player doesn't know who you are. You don't tell the player what to do. You have no authority of the player. He does not work for you. You're just buying the stats. So, it's just hilarious. I had Aaron Hernandez locked in a four-year contract in a dynasty league when he went to prison. So yeah, yeah. yeah don't don't bring up that. You didn't but, cut him. Um, you I, didn't uh, cut him. You're hoping he'd uh, resurrect his career yeah, or something no, like that. Yeah. I, I believe I, I suffered the uh, whatever the consequence. Ate that contract for the for the length of, uh, of of the of whatever it was. But I um one quick thing. I, I you don't think I, he's going to resurrect his career though at any point. Uh, I don't. I don't, I don't think he's going to resurrect yeah. his, his career. <laughs> um, he. Uh, the, that, the, by Jack, the way, Jack, Aaron, Aaron Hernandez jokes will get old at some point, just not in any of our lifetimes. Yeah, just not yet. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of Jacksonville at plus seven hundred to win that division? With obviously Houston uh, bad and, and and Carson Wentz quarterbacking. The I like Colts it. No and defense in Tennessee. Tennessee with their Tennessee with their fleas and a team that's you know been. Uh, winning, you know, kind of close games the last couple of years, but it's no defense there and lost some, some other guys and where Jacksonville just like, they've been put a lot of draft capital and defense. And I do worry about urban Meyer, but just, I mean, Trevor Lawrence just never loses games. So, I mean, so that would, I don't know, kind of like that. There's no long shots in divisions that are that interesting to me, like plus 700. So, what about the G man? What is wrong with you, man? You're not going to bet the giants. <laughs> no, I'll make you a case for the giants. What are the giants to win the division plus 600? Yeah, I need to look. I'll, I'll, I'll look, look it up. up. So the Giants, I think, are around plus 600. Here's the thing with the Giants. Their defense was good last year. It was actually good. It was probably top, I want to say top seven. And they have Leonard Williams back. They have James Bradbury. They signed, uh, what's his name, the, the cornerback from, from Tennessee, who's pretty good. Adoree, uh, they signed Adoree Jackson from Tennessee. There you go, yeah. There you go. They get their safety, their, uh, their second-round safety, early second-round safety from last year back. He was hurt most of last year. They're, they added another edge rusher in the second round of the draft that a lot of people were calling a first rounder. And their team is actually, their defense is actually good. Let me get the names of these guys because I should know the names. Only plus 350 in this book showing uh, Jacksonville plus 750. That's bullshit. See? So see, that's what I'm that's saying. Like okay. only, so here it is. Yeah, they, okay. they got Aziz Ajulari. That's the guy's name. He was projected as like a first rounder. So they've got like another edge rusher. And they they get Xavier McKinney is the name of the safety they they have Logan Ryan played well but he's I think McKinney will start Jabril Peppers played well last year had a good season this is a good defense and then you know they get Kenny Galladay who's a game breaking big receiver they draft Kadarius Tony who I mean who knows but the guy's super fast and quick run after the catch guy he's kind of like Debo but faster or Ayuk but faster or Golden Tate but faster. And then the offensive line, Matt Pert was a uh, third-round pick. He's played pretty well. He's probably a starter. They get Nate Solder back, who's mediocre, but they needed depth. And Andrew Thomas was playing with an ankle injury. So they're counting on the offensive line getting better just through Pert being his second year, Thomas being the fourth overall pick and not playing hurt, and Solder coming back. But 
if that offensive line plays all right, the only weakness you have with this, you know, Saquon and these receivers is Evan Ingram sucks. And Daniel, Danny Dimes is, he's got to get rid of the ball, but 350 is not, not a great price. I thought it was like 600. I'm with you on their defense. Uh, I cannot get on board with their coaching and quarterback. I, they're playing for third place. As I told you on the XM show, they're battling the Eagles for last place. Why, why, summer, is, why do you think the coach yeah, is bad? Yeah. What makes you think the coach is bad? Jason Garrett's still calling the plays, isn't he? Yeah, but Jason Garrett, why do you think he's such a bad play caller? It's, you know, he was a terrible coach. He was a nutless monkey, but calling the plays is different. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So remember Norv Turner as a coach and he was a good offensive coordinator. I remember do, Wade do, Phillips as a coach. That applies in, in some cases. I do not, I'm not convinced that is the case with, with Jason Garrett. Um, do you want to bet on them versus the Cowboys or versus the Washington football team who has an awesome defense and now a competent quarterback? The over under is going to be way higher for the football team and the, and the yeah. Cowboys, right? Yeah, pro, let's see the odds. If they're plus three fifty, yeah, the Washington's plus two sixty. So yeah, they're they're more favored to win the division. So yeah. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we do that? I mean, I know it's a little crazy, but why don't we do your seventy against my fifty-two? If it's two sixty and three fifty, let's double it. So your sure. seventy against my fifty-two. I'm getting odds. Yeah. Okay. Okay. For email WFT. me back. Seventy. Okay. Seventy fifty-two. Right. Okay. Okay. I'm getting a bad right. price on that. The Giants, I saw them as like plus 600 somewhere, I think. Yeah. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just worried I'm going to owe you a lot of money for these beat Chris Listleys. That's what I'm worried about. That's why you need me to win the whole thing, so I got to send you a grand. I know. That would be much better. But I will be. I, you know, I'm still hoping to win it. You know, it's still early enough, but as we get into July, if it's like this, I'm going to start changing my uh, course. And uh, So the other thing I want to mention quickly is in... Big Chrysalis one. Somebody dropped Dylan Bundy, and I only have like 170 bucks left. You have like 20 bucks left. I only had and I bid 80 on him, and I got him. Somebody bid 59, and I'm like, Dylan Bundy is a borderline ace. Like, why do they drop him? Yeah, I led my column with it Monday mornings, uh, and I probably was partially because of the thought of him being dropped in our league. I'm like, is he getting really getting dropped in leagues? That's crazy. You know, he, his profile suggests he's like a top 25 ish, 30 ish type fantasy starter. He's in the nerd stats that you don't even care about. He's no, he's really good. And he's just unlucky with wins. And he got shelled in one outing. Uh, yeah, you look at, he's, I would have been all over that had I had, I did bake a bid, keep you honest bid. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I saw that and I was like, Oh, even with pitching, I would have been all over that had I had more money or whatever. That was a no brainer. Well done. Yeah. It just seemed like a weird mistake and and I'm surprised nobody else really, I I expected to be outbid. I didn't have that much money. I couldn't go crazy. Uh, even in a 12 teamer, he should have gone for a little more. Yeah. He he really should have gone for like 200. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a little weird. All right. So some non-sports things I've got. Just a funny story. My mom is good friends with this guy in New York who is 93 now, 92. I don't know. He's pretty old. His name is George. And George, you know, he's like a a therapist and he still sees patients and he just walks around the city and kids are like, don't walk around. You know, you're, you're going to get COVID and you're going to die. And he just, his, he finally like took a couple months in the house because he listened to his, his daughter who's a doctor and he, he finally was like, I got to get out of the house. And he started walking. His leg muscles had totally atrophied. Because when you're 93, if you don't walk, <laughs> um, you know, your, your muscles atrophy. But he started walking again and making himself walk. He's, he's doing fine. But the thing about this guy that my mom told me is that he's so 
disorganized and doesn't care that he just doesn't pay his bills. Like he barely pays his bills. His kids now have come in to like go through it and pay stuff. Um, but he, he's rich, you know, he's like, I've been a therapist, you know, for 50 years and has money as a, you know, a large apartment on park Avenue and stuff and an office on park Avenue, but he just doesn't pay his bills. You know, the house is, it's like a grand apartment, but it hasn't been updated in like 20 years, 30 years. But the crazy thing is he doesn't even pay his taxes. All he does Every year is he just sends a check. He est- he just guesses what he owes. He has no idea. And he just sends them a check with no form. He doesn't even fill out the form. He just literally mails a check in his name to the IRS and they deposit it, which is weird. Because how the hell do they know who he is? I guess from his bank account. He just sends them a check and they don't bother him. They don't come after him. He probably sends them too much. She said, he doesn't know. He just guesses and <laughs> sends a check. That's, he doesn't even file a 1040 or whatever. That is very weird. I've never heard of anything like that. He lives his life without worrying about anything. He doesn't even, I mean, that's probably not true. He's a real man. It's probably not true that he doesn't worry about anything. He's probably neurotic as hell. But I guess what I'm (laughs) saying is he doesn't even deal with the, you know how like bills and, oh, I got to file this form and this is due then. I got my property tax and I got this. You got to like deal with all this shit and it's kind of stressful as an adult. And it's getting worse because of the financialization of everything. There's all this shit to like remember to deal with. He just doesn't. He just doesn't deal with it. And he's 93, so what are they going to do to him? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But she said he's been doing this for 20 years. You know, this right. yeah. just sending in yeah. a, a payment to the IRS, just guessing. That is wild. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's crazy. You should, you should, you, you thinking about following suit? No, I, I'm the opposite. Right. So I am just like, I hate bureaucracy and all these like ambiguous, like I always pay for the accountant, even if it's, I could probably do it myself. I always just want it done. I want it done early. I want to get it out of the way. That kind of shit. Heather doesn't mind it. Like all like the citizenship and paperwork and residence shit in Portugal. I hate that stuff. And it's the bureaucracy. And I always feel like it's, it's something's going to go wrong. I'll not check the box or check the wrong box. And the idea that this guy just doesn't even deal with it is it's, I don't know. It's like blew my mind. Yeah, I just got my uh, my taxes back yesterday, so it's nice to have that finished with. But that is mind blowing, absolutely. I had someone help me big time. Yeah, that's that's uh, definitely a real man style for sure. All right, so that was just that. That was just uh, I want to talk about that guy. So the other thing I wanted to mention <laughs> is uh, we got another sign up due to this podcast. Uh, a guy whose handle is at Brett Favre ninety eight. Um, I, I don't know his real name. I is somewhere in our database, which is private. But at Brett Favre 98, good guy. He said, real man knows where I heard about this podcast, and he signed up for Rotowire. Uh, and he's not the only one. There's been a lot, I wouldn't say a lot, but there's been a bunch of signups the last couple of weeks uh, after that dust-up, and uh, I appreciate that. It's really good, I really really cool of you guys. I think it sends a bit of a message also that the podcast is valued. You appreciate what we're doing, so I appreciate that. So thank you. Awesome, Manny. I saw that, too. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. What else? So I just been, I, I made a tweet that I feel like, I don't know if it's my, that I've just done a better job of curating my feed or is the tide actually turning? Is bullshit getting exposed? Are we seeing more sense and logic prevail? And I got, I got a lot of responses. A lot of people, Matt Modica was like, uh, no, you're uh, just doing a better job curating, obviously. Uh, <laughs> and he might be right, but I, I've just seen in a lot of places the idea, and this is sort of a, it seems obvious if you looked at it from a common sense lens, and this is what I always did. I never was wearing a mask outside. I was wearing a mask inside, even when I was more concerned than I am now, when we knew less about the severity of the disease. 
but now it seems like it's coming out that this is an aerosol pro- disease, just like most respiratory illnesses like the flu, and that um, outdoors there's virtually no risk unless you're like really up close to somebody in their face, and that you know masking outdoors is kind of pointless, and that the ventilation is important. So even when you're indoors, it can be pretty safe if you have windows open and a good breeze going through, but if you're in a dank dungeon of a place... It's more dangerous, and I always felt like that. I mean, it's obvious. I don't even like. I didn't even like being in a dungeon of a place before COVID, when there was flus or just black mold or any shit that can be in a enclosed environment is not. You know, you're going to get sick. An airplane, you get sick. You know, like I always get sick on an airplane. Like, but when there's good ventilation, windows are open. That seems like a clean, fresh air place to be, and I think that's always been the case. So, hopefully, if anything comes of this, if there's not some other crisis, and we'll get into that in a bit. You know, we should like ventilate and have more outdoor spaces and more fresh air, even if it's colder or it's not as climate controlled. That would be a good thing to come out of COVID. I think it would probably be beneficial for people's health in general. Yep, no question about it. Summer's coming. I've got the, the pool going. It's nice for me to get some some sun. I, I definitely stay indoors far too much just because of my, my, my job. But um, it was nice golfing over the weekend and even after spending all day, uh, in the sun, uh, we ate, uh, at a restaurant and that was probably my first time indoors eating for in, in a long time. So that was, it was funny that that felt like such a, a weird experience again, but it was, it was also nice. So yeah, I do feel like life is, is slowly, but returning to, to normal. Um, my, uh, my dad, uh, my dad's buddy turned 75 and he, and he wanted me and my mom to go uh, go see him, and he had a, a party in, in, inside a, a bar, and, and, and everyone was there, and so so happy to uh, to be to be together. He just so I, I'm getting a, a general sense too myself that everyone's uh, kind of uh, you know returning to some normalcy. Yeah, and not just like people returning to normalcy, but just the idea like, come on, this you got to stop with this religious nonsense, right? Like it's science. I hear you. Yeah, and there was that yeah. MIT study which was hilarious. I don't know if you saw that. I tweeted that. MIT studied um, COVID skeptics. Now, these are not deniers, I don't think. I don't, actually, they're not. Uh, they're not saying it's not real or anything extreme. They're saying, well, what's the data really saying? What, you know, just looking into the data. They're skeptical. They're not just taking at face value whatever the politician du jour is saying. And this MIT study, you've got to read this, this thread, man. It's incredible. He, I, I should actually read some parts of it because it's, it's too crazy to be true. It's this guy just excerpted from it. He said, the first thing he quoted was, most fundamentally, the groups we studied believe that science is a process not, and not an institution. It says, indeed, anti-maskers often reveal themselves to be more sophisticated in their understanding of how scientific knowledge is socially constructed than their ideological adversaries, who espouse naive realism about the objective, quote, objective truth of public health data. In other words, anti-maskers value unmediated access to information and privilege personal research and direct reading over, quote, expert interpretations. Its members value individual initiative and ingenuity, trusting scientific analysis only insofar as they can replicate it themselves by accessing and manipulating the data firsthand. They are highly reflexive about the inherently biased nature of any analysis and resent what they view as the arrogant self-righteousness of scientific elites. It goes on, and it goes on, and he says... He says, these groups are, for example, these groups argue that the conflation of asymptomatic and symptomatic cases therefore makes it difficult for anyone to actually determine the severity of the panic, pandemic. And think about it. Like, if you say there's, I don't know how many millions of cases, and you're counting asymptomatic and symptomatic together, the asymptomatic, that, that's, you know, let's say it was, I don't know what the percentage is, but if it's 50 or 70%, those cases didn't do anything to anybody. It's only the symptomatic cases that are actually causing harm. Maybe there's long-term harm. Anyway, he goes on. 
He says, for these anti-mask users, their approach to the pandemic is grounded in more scientific rigor, not less. These individuals as a whole are extremely willing to help others who have trouble interpreting graphs with multiple forms of clarification by helping people find the original sources so they can replicate the analysis themselves by referencing other reputable studies that come to the same conclusions by reminding others to remain vigilant about the limitations of data and by answering questions about the implications of a specific graph. This is, this is crazy. It keeps going. It says, while these groups highly value scientific expertise, they also see collective analysis of data as a way to bring communities together within a time of crisis and be able to transparently and dispassionately analyze the data is crucial for democratic governance. These are the uh, COVID skeptics that the MIT group was, was researching, that they infiltrated and wrote a piece on. They said, data literacy is a quintessential criterion for membership within the community they have created. So it goes on and on. And in the end, they lament the skeptical impulse in the, that the science simply isn't settled and say, you know, this is bad. And they just, they say somehow it's bad. But everything they say seems very complimentary of this group of people who are hmm. questioning what they're right. receiving and not doing it like orange man good, but like literally they want to get to the actual data. Sure. And it's, it's, just, it's just hilarious. So... That, that was a thread. And that was really interesting because I think it's real. It's almost like too on the nose to be real, but I, I, I think it's real. It's like a, there's the papers is, is linked to this guy at Kami Lee Jones. It's in my, uh, my Twitter feed at Chris underscore list. You guys probably know. Thanks, man. Anyway, Kami Lee Jones uh, has this, this thread. He's not the guy who did the paper, but these are like legit MIT researchers. And they're like, <laughs> they come up with like, it's, it's crazy. You got, you got to read the thread. It's, it's kind of unbelievable. So that seemed like a, even though they, their conclusion was negative, it seemed like a, another little ray of sunlight, of sanity on this process of like, oh yeah, the people who are skeptical, again, not denying, but just like skeptical of just whatever the government says is true, um, have been the more scientifically rigorous. And then on the flip side, though, uh, I will throw cold water and say, what, what are your thoughts on inflation that is quite clearly here? Well, I guess, I mean, I would imagine you, I don't know, I guess you're intercontinental, but inflation is, is, is hitting pretty hard here. Yeah, it'll be worldwide. Everybody's printing and everybody has to print when others print to keep up. It makes me nervous. I'm a little nervous about Bitcoin in the short term. I'm not going to sell, but there's a, you know, they barely raise interest rates. Well, did they raise them? I don't know if they, I think they raised the 10 year. I, I could be wrong about that. But my understanding is inflation was 4.2% in April. And their target was 2%. And 4.2 is still not even measuring some of the stuff, not assets and not, they, they didn't measure uh, home, home prices increasing. They just measured, oh no, they did measure home prices. They didn't measure the rental market increasing, I think. But anyway, CPI. I saw that with used cars, you can just manipulate the CPI with some, uh, yes, that is just a, a total manipulation of numbers, it sounds like. So it's 4.2 officially, which is ridiculously high, higher than they said. And it's actually probably really a lot higher than that. And the problem is, and you see these gas shortages, which are kind of scary in the uh, Southeast. And there's supposedly a pipeline hack, but I wonder what's really going on there. And there's people like just filling their canisters with gas. There's that uh, Mm -hmm. crazy video going around, that woman with plastic bags, filling (laughs) double bagging a couple uh, gallons of gasoline. But that's what happens in a massive inflation. People are just buying as much of whatever they can with the money they have as, as quickly as they can. There's shortages and there's not enough money. There's too much money for the goods that it's chasing. 
everything is so weird too about the market because you think, oh, inflation, Bitcoin stocks, everything's going to go up, right? Let's get rid of this money. Let's get it into stocks. Let's get it into Bitcoin. Let's get it into assets. But what happens is when there's inflation, they assume the Fed's going to raise rates. And if the Fed raises rates, this market's going to collapse. They can't raise rates at all, really. So the threat of raising rates are just a little bit. It goes down 3 4%, whatever. It's going to start to crash. You understand why that is, right? Because when they raise rates, then bonds, the, the, the riskless rate of return goes up. There's no riskless, but the low risk rate of return goes up. And then stocks okay. and growth stocks have to beat that. You've got to beat 2 3 4%. Borrowing gets more expensive. Debt gets more expensive. So when they raise rates, the market crashes. They can't raise rates because this fake market is propped up by these zero interest rates. So they can't raise rates, but if they don't raise rates, then inflation is going to go out of control. The way you control inflation is by raising rates because it's more expensive to borrow money. If it's cheap to borrow money, you're going to keep borrowing and buying, right? You're going to borrow by Bitcoin, borrow by Bitcoin because money's cheap and Bitcoin's going through the, through the ceiling. And so they can only control it by raising rates, but if they raise rates, they're going to collapse the stock market, the economy. So this is a real bind. This is a real desperate situation. Maybe they can raise it a little, crash the market a little, and kind of keep it somewhere, but that's very hard to walk that line. And so what are they going to do? Are they going to raise rates, or are they going to let inflation go crazy? What, what would you do? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, you tell me, Liz. Well, in Japan, I, I saw this documentary about the Japanese government, and they, this guy was like, no, inflation's a scourge. You've got to raise rates. You can't, you, know, you can't let inflation happen, because he'd been through it earlier period in Japan. And he tried to raise rates, and the whole country just wanted to like destroy him, and nobody can handle the pressure. They end up printing more money. That's what they all do, because they can't... If the markets are crashing, I mean, people's pensions, there's no yield to the bonds. If, if, if you raise rates, and they own all these stocks, and all their pensions crash, you can't do that. They, you can't politically do it. The, the central bank cannot get away with it. All they can do is print. And so there's this fear that if, if rates go up, the market crashes. Maybe it will happen for a, a bit. And then they got to lower the rates like they did by printing money like they did last year, you know, when the market was going crazy last year. So I, they're screwed either way. Inflation is incredibly dangerous and, and raising rates is incredibly dangerous. And I'll just leave on a dark note. This is just a Whitney Webb who I don't know how, you know, whatever. She's a writer. She has a lot of followers. She reports on like Epstein and a lot of dark CIA stuff. And she said, I think I mentioned this before that, just as like there was an event 201 before COVID, there's a, another sort of planned simulation of a cyber attack. And we have the cyber attack on the gas, and now there's no gas on the East Coast. At least they're saying that's the reason. And I'm a little bit paranoid, I'll admit, but I'm nervous. Like If the Fed is screwed, is truly screwed, and inflation's here at the doorstep, and they can't really raise rates without crashing the economy, what's plan C? That's all I'm going to say. I don't know specifically how it would work. I don't I'm not going to get into the mechanics of it. I'm not going to speculate as to what the conspiracy would be. I'm just saying, if they have two horrible choices that are going to wreck the economy, might they think out of the box? I'm just putting that out there. I don't, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it makes me nervous. And then you have this woman, Whitney Webb, reporting that that's the plan. So that's, that's just sort of stressing add. me out. It's stressing me out a little bit. And maybe, you know, on, without warrant. But the inflation number is real. Well, it's undercounting. And the fact that they really cannot raise rates without crashing the market is also, it's what happened in, in December of 18 also. It, it's very precarious. 
I was just going to add that I think inflation is more than at the doorstep. I mean, just look at groceries, gas, yep. uh, the price of wood. If you wanted to build a deck, right. um, Costco, Costco is doing it back or differently. They just downsize their right. items uh, surreptitiously. So the you know the same price for less uh, of the good. So I think it's definitely here, not just at the doorstep. But um, yeah, I don't know what comes next either. So, so that's yeah, scary stuff. Yeah. So inflation is good for Bitcoin, good for assets, but the problem is that if the Fed were to raise rates to fight inflation and everybody's you know, portfolios collapse and all the people on margin and leveraged sell like crazy, and then that triggers a gigantic cascade of selling, you know, people are going to sell the Bitcoin too. They're going to have to sell anything not tied down. But that might prompt, okay, we can't raise rates. We're going to lower them again. And then, it's going to, you know, then the inflation is going to rush back in and the assets are going to reinflate. So this is sort of the thing. I'm not smart enough to time this market. I'm not selling, but I could see some real bumpiness in the short term, which kind of scares me. I mean, real, not, you know, I don't care if it dips 5,000, 10,000. I mean, dipping 25, 30, you know, something big. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I know. I'm just yeah. saying I could Nick see Carter, it happening. Nick Carter warned this, right? Yeah, he's got me worried a little too, um, so, wondering the same thing. So, yeah. I'm not, I'm not bold or smart enough to time this and say, okay, I'm going to sell now and then rebuy it. Because what if you're wrong? And it's... You know, you're, you, yeah. just, you just can't. And, I, and in, in the long term, this is what I believe in as the fundamental investment of, of the era. So I'm not messing with it. Um, it's kind of like your hitter has a slump for a month and you're like kind of getting worried, but it's Mike Trout or somebody. And you're just like, I just, that's it. I'm, I'm not going to bench him this week because he's slumping. I, I can't, I don't know how to time it. No, many people are saying you have lettuce hands. So you need to prove them all. <laughs> no, 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 no. I got, I got, I got, sir, I got hands of steel. <laughs> Diamond hands. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Diamond hands. Oh, all right. Yeah. On that note. All right, man. Good, good stuff. Good stuff, man. Take it easy, Dalton.